Hebrews chapter 11. We do have nursery available if you have kids three or under. We do apologize. We do not have kids church today due to it being the last Sunday of the month. Hebrews chapter 11. This is Memorial Day weekend, so as a nation we stop and we think about and honor those who have paid the ultimate price so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy. We appreciate everyone who serves, and on this particular weekend, we stop and think about those who gave their life in service of our nation. And if there's ever been a time, if there's ever been a moment that as a nation, we needed, for lack of a better term, some heroes to stand up, I believe it's now. But we need heroes that are not just those who are willing to step into the more obvious places. Uh, it's It's a great thing when someone's willing to serve in a civil arena, someone's willing to serve politically, someone's willing to serve... Uh, In any area of government or leadership, it is a greater sacrifice than anybody could imagine unless you've been there and done that. And that's a wonderful thing. But I still believe that the hope for our nation is in our churches. And the hope for our churches are in the families that make up those churches. And the hope for our families start with each individual believer. And the only way we're going to see the things that if hopefully in our hearts we desire to see, real revival, a real move of the Holy Spirit, a return to real holiness, a return to, to a dependency upon God, a move of God in our generation. See, here's the thing that I believe. I believe that nothing short of a third great awakening will salvage what needs to take place in this country. I believe we need to see a move of God. I believe we need to see a return of the miraculous power of God at work in our generation. And that will not come without a cost. Jesus has paid the ultimate price so that we could walk in His power and His freedom and His glory and the anointing of His Spirit. And His anointing, the Bible says, destroys all bondage in our life. But But we have to be willing to bow our knee and bow our will to the Lordship of Jesus Christ so that He is able to lead us and guide us to do what He wants us to do and go where He wants us to go. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's famously been called the Hall of Fame of Faith. I want to begin not in a traditional place, but I want to begin towards the end of the chapter in verse 32. As the writer is kind of winding up in all that he was going to say, he says, What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms and worked righteousness and obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the violence of fire and escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong and became valiant in battle and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. All of those things are exciting to us. It's the stuff that movies are made of. You know, out of weakness, they're made strong, they're valiant in battle, they turn armies around and, and, and win great victories. But when you read the names that were kind of just given off in a quick list there at the end, on the initial glance, they don't look like heroes, not if you know their story. Gideon and Barak, at best, they battled with fear. And that's being generous to them. If you remember Gideon's story... 
We find him first hiding out, threshing wheat in, the, uh, in, in, a, in a little area because he was afraid of the Midianites. Because they would come and take the crops from the Israelites. And when the angel of the Lord shows up and begins to talk to Gideon, the first thing that comes out of Gideon's mouth is, you must have the wrong guy. He said, I, I'm, I'm the weakest in my father's clan, and my father's clan is the weakest in Israel. There is no way that I can be a deliverer for the people of God. And when the angel of the Lord continues to press him that, no, you're the right guy, I didn't get the wrong address, then Gideon asks for some type of sign, and so he prepares a sacrifice, and the angel of the Lord causes the sacrifice to be consumed supernaturally by fire. And yet that's still not enough for Gideon because he's still afraid. So he puts out a fleece. And in the first fleece, he asks, and I, I get the order reversed sometimes, but in the first fleece, he asks something along the lines of, I'm going to put out this little blanket on the ground. And he said, I want the blanket to be wet and the ground around it to be dry. And that takes place. And that's still not enough for Gideon because he's still afraid. So he says, I'm going to do another fleece. So I'm going to put out the blanket again on the ground, and this time I want the ground to be dry and the blanket, only the blanket to be wet. And God does it again. And so finally, after three separate signs, not to mention the appearance of the angel to begin with, so I would say four supernatural miraculous signs, Gideon finally accepts the role that God's put upon him. And when we talk about Barak, he was another judge that delivered the children of Israel. And when it came time for him to step up and lead his people to victory, he said to the prophet Deborah, prophetess Deborah, he said, I won't go unless you go with me. He was afraid to go and lead, so he said, I won't go unless you go with me. And Deborah said, well, that's all right, I'll go with you. But it's going to be said that the Israelites were delivered by the hand of a woman, the prophetess Deborah. And so they sang a song then later about Barak and Deborah when God did come through. But both Gideon and Barak, who were called to be, for lack of a better term, heroes, battled with fear, you might even say cowardice. Well, I'll just go ahead and say cowardice. They had seen supernatural signs and wonders. But even those supernatural signs and wonders, particularly with Gideon, weren't enough. And when we talk about Samson and Jephthah, if you know anything about their story, they were judges as well, and they battled with a lot of morality problems. <laughs> they didn't always live. Well, you know the story of Samson real well. He had a problem with women. And, and so he continually, and Samson was about himself all the way up until the very end, and it could be said that at the very end he might have been about himself as well. And yet God used Samson, and God used Jephthah. And then we talk about David. You can't really say that even though David was a man after God's own heart, David battled with some moral issues as well, and yet God used him as a great deliverer of Egypt. And then we finally find Samuel and the prophets. Now Samuel, there's not a lot you can say about Samuel except that Samuel had a problem with his judgment. You remember when God was going to take the kingdom away from Saul because Saul had sinned? And so he says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. And I want you to anoint one of his sons to be the next king over Israel. So Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, and Jesse brings all of his sons in, or at least so Samuel thinks. And he begins by looking at the oldest, and the oldest looks like a king. Now, the Bible says about Saul, who proved not to be a good king over Israel, it says that Saul was head and shoulders above all the other Israelites. So otherwise, he was physically intimidating. He looked the part, and yet he was a disastrous king. Samuel now goes to anoint the next king after Saul had proven to be such a disaster. And the first thing he looks for is what he looks like on the outside. 
He goes through all the sons. God says, no, I've rejected him as king. No, he's not the one. No, he's not the one. Finally goes through everybody in the line, and he looks at Jesse and says, is this all of your sons? Is this everybody? And Jesse said, oh, well, there's the runt. He's out in the field watching over those sheep. And Samuel says, well, call him in. And the minute he sees David, God says, that's the one that I've chosen to be the king over Israel. He says, for man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. So even Samuel, though he had a lot of things together, he battled with bad judgment looking on the outside. And if you want to talk about the Old Testament prophets, none of us probably today would allow one of the Old Testament prophets to stand up and preach in any pulpit in America. Now, I know you're all looking at me funny, but that's flat out true. We'd think they were all crazy. we think every one of them was strange. Almost every one of them would bring judgment down upon us. They would be, what if somebody came in uh, wearing camel's, camel's skin and, and eating wild honey and locusts? What if somebody came in and doing some of the illustrations that Isaiah and Ezekiel did? We wouldn't only run them out. We'd call the police on many of them. That's just the truth. So when we talk about all of the folks that God used in Scripture that we call heroes... Realize that we call them heroes in hindsight. We, we look at them with all of the many, many years of history behind us. We see the fruit of what their ministry produced. And that is what we should look at. The Bible says it's by their fruit that you will know them. But what I would say to you today is most of the time we don't judge by fruit today. We judge by appearance. We look for charisma, we look for talent, we look for great skill, we look for intelligence, we look for education, we look for somebody who, who looks the part and sounds the part. and That's what we're looking for, somebody who has good advice and good counsel that any Fortune 500 company would choose. And we, That's what we look for. We look for whatever goes with success. And my, my, my thought is sometimes that's good, but sometimes that might not be exactly what God's looking for. It certainly doesn't fit the pattern of Scripture. Now, we like when we see great results, and particularly in, in the West, we are a results-oriented people. We love results. We love champions. We love uh, for the bottom line to grow. That's what we're looking for. So when we read in Hebrews 11 about the victories that these men and women of faith saw in their life, they quenched the violence of the flames. Well, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, we love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stopped the mouths of lions. Well, that's Daniel. Well, we love the story of Daniel. But here's the thing. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the reason that they have a story, they had no story when they were still in Israel. The reason they have a story is because they had been taken as slaves to Babylon. Babylon was an idolatrous culture. And they were raised up in power in an idolatrous culture. So even with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, my thought is most of us today would probably be uncomfortable around them because they were too cozy with people who were in power that were in an idolatrous culture, even though they would not compromise. And by the way, the only way that you can quench, and, and I'm going to say this again, I've mentioned this in times past, but I want to say it again. I believe that the reason we're not seeing miracles today is because we have too many plan B's, C's, and D's that get us out of the mess before we ever have a chance to see a miracle. Because the only way you can ever quench the violence of the flame is to be in the flame to begin with. 
And the only way you can ever stop the mouth of a lion is to be thrown into a lion's den with hungry lions. And most of us are so afraid of difficulty, and so, and I include myself, so afraid of danger, so afraid of trouble, so afraid. Matter of fact, we spend our whole lives trying to inoculate and insulate our children from ever facing any kind of danger or difficulty of any kind. And believe me, I understand that as a parent, but I'm beginning to wonder if that runs counterintuitive to what Jesus actually called his disciples to do. Because he never looked at his group that he was sending out into the world and said, hey guys, above all things, be safe. Above everything else in the world, be careful. I don't want you to have any trouble, and I hope things all go smooth. You're laughing because you know it's just the opposite. Jesus told them, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. He said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so I want you to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. He said, as a matter of fact, the days are coming as you go that people will deliver you up in the synagogues, they'll torture you, they'll persecute you, and they'll think they're doing God a favor when they kill you. And when you go, he didn't say avoid that, he didn't say run the other direction he said when you're delivered up don't even think ahead of time about what you're going to say because at that moment the spirit of God who is with you will give you the very words that need to come in your mouth while we spend all of our time trying to insulate ourselves and our families from any level of danger we try to build our 401k up so well that there is no danger that anything that could ever happen could ever conflict with us we've got our life insurance we've got this insurance that insurance I'm telling you now if they would ever come up with an insurance that would be an insurance that would fill in the gaps of all the other insurances we'd buy that insurance too and I'd be the first in line please understand not against that but my point is we want to get to a place where we're in control of everything in our lives I do one of the things I hate worse than anything else is feeling like I can't help I can't fix I can't control something I always want to be in control. And the only way you can be a disciple is to let him be in control. Did you ever think that maybe the reason that we're not seeing the same results is because we won't give up control? You see, all these heroes, they weren't perfect. See, we spend all our time trying to be perfect because we think if I'll just get this right, then God can surely use me. If I learn this step and that step and this step and that step and learn this thing, and it's a foolproof way, man. I, I've read books that would lead you to believe that if you can just get this kind of confession right, it is foolproof, man. God is guaranteed to answer every prayer just exactly the way you say it. If you say it this way, and if you miss it and God doesn't answer the prayer, it must have been because you said it the wrong way last time, even though you didn't realize it. Did you know that that kind of teaching would be foreign to these men? God shows up with Abraham and he says, hey, get ready. I want you to leave your family, everything you've ever known. I'm going to send you somewhere you've never been. When you get there, I'll let you know that you're there and I'll tell you what to do. And so Abraham just gets up and goes. He don't know where he's going for sure. He don't know how long the journey is going to take. All he knows as God said, go. Well, that's Old Testament, Pastor. God would surely never do that anymore. He wants us to have a plan, work the plan, all that. So the Bible says about Peter and James and John and Andrew when they saw Jesus and realized he was the Lamb of God. 
Very interesting word. It says straightway, which means immediately, instantly. They left their nets. That was their profession. That was everything they had ever known. At least with James and John, their father Zebedee was the one that they were in partnership with. So that means for them, they left their profession, everything they knew, and their father in the boat instantly and followed Jesus. And that's New Testament. Paul, when God called Paul, changed him from Saul to Paul on the road to Damascus, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit showed him all of the things that he would suffer before he ever sent him out. That's not the kind of prophets we like. We like prophets to tell us all the good things. Yea, I say unto thee, I've seen your tears and all the cries of your heart and all the things that you've longed for long into the night seasons. Yea, even upon thy bed I have seen thee. And yea, thus saith the Lord, I will answer all the cries of your heart. You shall see the fulfillment of all the things that you so desire. Don't cry anymore, saith the Lord, for from this time forward everything is go. Everything is yea and amen unto thee, saith the Lord. I'm not trying to be facetious. God could say that. But what I'm trying to say to you is those are the only kind of prophets we like. See, God can say that through a prophet, but God, what if he showed up and said, Yea, I say unto thee, I've called thee. I don't know why we always use King James when Jesus is talking. He probably talked just like us, but it sounds better. Yea, I say unto thee, I've called thee, and you will suffer much for my sake. You will suffer misunderstanding. Even those that are the closest to you will not understand and turn their backs on you, and it will be painful. I've called you to a difficult path, saith the Lord. And as you walk in this path, you will even suffer persecution. It will cost you everything that you have. But I've called you. Come and follow me. See, I don't have to say anything about being facetious because God actually did say that. He said, if we're going to follow him, anybody who will follow him must take up their cross and follow him. See, a cross is not just a decorative piece of jewelry or a bumper sticker or T-shirt. It's a form of execution. And Paul said the reason he carried his cross daily was because he said, I die daily, every day. So why did Paul see revival? Why did he see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit like he saw? Because he died every day. Every time his flesh would rise up, and his flesh did rise up, Romans 7 tells us that, but every time his flesh would rise up, he'd put it to death on the cross. Every time pride rose up, I want it my way, he'd say, no, you die right there. Every time offense would rise up and say, you got a right to be offended, he'd say, no, you die right there. And because he kept that stuff dead, he was able to live out of the fullness of the Spirit of God. Now, everywhere he went, he not only saw revival, but he saw riots. He not only saw power, but he found persecution. But he was willing to die so that he could see the life of God live in him. When we become that people, I'm telling you, God hasn't changed one bit. I believe God still cares about this nation. I believe God still cares about this city. I believe God still cares about you and your family. I believe God still cares about your neighborhood and your workplace. I believe God still is a miracle worker. I believe he still wants to do everything that he ever wanted to do. But he's trying to find a people who will die. 
He's trying to find a people who will say, I give up my rights. I, see, we talk about, these are my rights. We even know our rights in Christ. Uh, these are my rights and privileges in Christ Jesus, bless the Lord. And I'm not saying there's no value to that. But we're quick to know our rights. My question is, when are we willing to give them up? Because, see, the Bible says whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever was willing to lose his life for my sake, he will find it. So all of these men that we celebrate and the great feats, the miracles that took place, you realize had they not been willing to stand for Jesus even to the point of risking death, we would never read about the victories and the miracles. But when God finds a people who are willing to follow him even to the point of death, then he is able to do things that we couldn't even begin to imagine, at least not in our times. All of that was free because that's not really what the message is about. It leads us to where I want to go. Verse 35 says, Women receive their dead raised to life again, but I want to get to these others. Because everybody knows the story of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, Moses, Abraham. And they sacrificed a lot. And even risk death to see God move. But you know what? It's easy to follow God and celebrate after a miracle. When God's answered the prayer just the way you wanted that prayer answered or better than you could ever imagine, it's easy to worship then. It's easy to serve. It's easy to do ministry. It's easy to shout. It's easy to come to church. It's easy. But others... Men and women of God, just like these men and women of God, others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. We don't usually spend a whole lot of time on these verses. I have one or two times in the past, but we don't usually spend a lot of time there. We like the lion's mouths being stopped and the flames being quenched and the Red Sea being crossed and the Jordan River being crossed and the walls of Jericho falling down and, and battles being won and people being resurrected and sicknesses being healed. And there's a lot of that in the Bible. There's a lot of that in modern day life. Jesus still does that. But then there are others. And they have faith. And they have hope. And they believe in the same Jesus and the same word. And they've committed the same life to following the same Lord. But others, they didn't get the answer they were longing for. Instead of deliverance, they were tortured. Instead of a mighty victory, they were sawn in two and killed. Instead of having people acknowledging their names and reading books that were written by them, we don't know who these others are. But let me tell you one thing. God knows them. He knows every one of them by name. And he made sure they were included in this chapter. Because you see, there are so many Samuels and so many Davids and so many Moseses and Abrahams in this world. 
And then there are others. I don't know about you, but nine times out of ten, I feel like I'm one of those others. And there comes a place where we have to, if we're going to go on and follow God, there comes a place where we have to kind of jettison the rhetoric of our day, the self-help, pop psychology movement, and ask ourselves, is it okay with me if the will of God for me is simply to live and to love and to serve and even to suffer? And to die in faith. Because you see, some teachings would say that you can't do that. There's something wrong with their faith. They didn't get their prayer answered. There must be something wrong with their faith. If they would have had more faith, they would have they got delivered right before they got sawn in two. If, if something wouldn't have been wrong with their faith, then they wouldn't have beheaded him. If something wouldn't have been wrong if, with their faith, well, then we've got to ask ourselves, was something wrong with Isaiah's faith? Because he was one of those. Was something wrong with the faith of John the Baptist? Was something wrong with the faith of every single apostle of Jesus Christ except John? Because they killed every one of them. They all died for the gospel. They tried to kill John. They just couldn't do it. So they sent him off in exile to Patmos. And he wrote the book of Revelation there. So they finally figured they couldn't shut him up. So they let him come home. But then he was old and broken in his body. And history tells us, tradition tells us, that he got to the point he was so weak he could only utter one phrase, and that one phrase was, love one another. Love one another. Love one another. See, that's what I'm saying. You see, we don't read about any great miracles that John did. I'm sure he was a part of some, being a disciple of the Lord. But you can read in history and see great works that he did. We see great books that he wrote. But there aren't that many glaring examples and he suffered, and he suffered tremendously. They dipped him in a vat of boiling oil. History tells us that he came up with laughter. They sent him to the Isle of Patmos, which was not a resort area. It was a volcanic island. And he lived in torture there, but he was still in the spirit on the Lord's day when he heard the angel of the Lord and he got the revelation. And at the end of his life, this great man, John the Beloved, didn't have anything to show. He was so weak he had to be carried around from place to place. But he was still true to his mission because the one thing he said was love one another. And that was his message. That was the message Jesus left with him. He said, this new commandment I give unto you, love one another. So what was the last thing on John's lips when he couldn't say anything else? He was still being true to what God... And let me tell you something. That is faith. You see, faith wins victories and faith goes through battles and pain and suffering without ever letting go of what we believe. That's faith. And all of these others, the Bible, you know what the Bible actually says about them? The world was not worthy of them. Now, you could say that he's talking about all Abraham, Moses, and all of them, and he probably is. But in direct context, he's talking about these others for sure. The world was not worthy of them. 
And as if that's not enough, he goes into a little more detail. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and in caves of the earth. But I want you to see God's word about them. Verse 39. All these having obtained a good testimony through faith. Now see, that's what blows my mind. Because see, in our circles anyway, when we talk about somebody obtaining a good testimony through faith, we go, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Man, they were praying for a miracle, and bless God, they got it. Everything worked out. You could not believe how wonderful it was. What great faith. Did you see that that happened at the front of the church last Sunday? Man, they were sick. They got up, and they were better instantly. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? And it is. That's wonderful. And God does that. And that should be our expectation. But what you never hear any of us ever say Did you see that person? Man, they prayed for years. And nothing happened that we could see. Matter of fact, it went from bad to worse. Man, it didn't turn out like any of us hoped. But you know what? Man, they are so in love with Jesus. And they believe God. (laughs) And they're serving Him now like they never served Him before. Boy, that is is great faith. You see, both things are true, according to Hebrews 11. And what I want to tell you is many times we don't see miracles because the only thing we're looking for is a preconceived idea of how this is going to turn out, and God may want to do it differently. Because you see, God could have delivered Shadrach. Let's just, I'm going to, you are not going to be comfortable with what I'm about going to say. But this is very important. God could have delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel without them going through the flaming, fiery furnace or the lion's den. Sure he could. God's God, isn't he? Matter of fact, God could have not ever let them be taken into Babylon in captivity ever to begin with. Couldn't he? While God could have sent a great revival in Israel and turned everything around, they could have all just stayed right home, living in their own house, planting their own fields, doing their own things, and never spent 70 years in Babylon under a wicked, idolatrous king in a system that they never wanted to be in to begin with. And a matter of fact, from what we can read about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't do anything to deserve it either. They were following God the whole time. You might say all the other Israelites deserved it because they were idolatrous and following after idols, but not those guys. And yet they went and they had to deal with slavery, captivity, and persecution. And God could have kept them from all that. But he didn't. And then the minute they stood up and said, well, we ain't going to bow to your idol. Nebuchadnezzar could have fallen down and said, oh, you're right, I'm wrong. Douse the flames. Let's follow God. But he didn't. Matter of fact, he heated it up seven times hotter when he threw them in. And the minute Daniel explained to a king who actually did like him, by the way, he knew he had been tricked into making the law. He didn't even want Daniel to go in the lion's den, but the laws of the Medes and Persians couldn't be changed once he was tricked into making the law. So he wanted to let Daniel go free, but he couldn't let Daniel go free. What I'm saying to you is God could have done all of that different, but he didn't. But let me ask you this. Had there never been a lion's den, and had there never been a flaming fiery furnace, How many times have you looked to those stories in the midst of your own personal difficulty, in the midst of your own personal trouble, and said, if God brought them through, he can bring me through? Now, lest you say, yeah, but God wouldn't do that now. There's an interesting story in the Gospel of John. 
it'll turn your theology upside down and do flips depending on where you stand on theology. But Jesus is told by Martha and Mary, word is sent to him that his friend Lazarus, whom he loves, by the way, the Bible makes that statement that he's real close to them, is dying. And then there's a very interesting little statement. Jesus stayed where he was four more days. Now, in our, here's what we would do. We'd drop everything. And we'd run. And that makes sense. But Jesus didn't do that. On top of that, he tells his disciples after, and when he's finally getting ready to go, he says, we're going to go because Lazarus is asleep. And his disciples, clueless as they were most of the time, and by the way, that's not an insult because most of us are the same way. I include myself. They said, well, if he's sleeping, he's doing good. Let him rest. And then Jesus said, no, he's dead. And so Thomas, in all of his great faith, says, well, let's go with him and die with him. Because they were trying to kill him in the town just earlier. So they go back, and Martha runs to meet Jesus and listen to the accusation in her voice. says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And that is absolutely true. You know what she's actually saying? Jesus, if you would have wanted to, you could have done something about this. I mean, I, I know that's uncomfortable sometimes. But let's get real. That's what she was saying. If you had wanted to bad enough, you could have done something about this. And the truth is, he sure could have. And yet, there's some tinge of faith. She said, yet even now, I believe that whatever you say, whatever you and Jesus gives that awesome statement, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, though you were dead, yet shall you live. So finally, Mary comes back, the one who had sat at Jesus' feet and wouldn't be budged. She has the same words that, if you had been here, my brother, when Jesus, if you had just showed up when we asked you to, if you would have just come immediately. Because you see, if you ever read it, he wasn't that far. He could have gotten there probably the same day if he would have really tried. So everything they're saying is absolutely true. And Jesus said, take me to where you've laid him. And he asked some folks to roll away the stone. And they're saying, well, Lord, he's been in there for four days. He's going to stink. And he said, nevertheless, roll away the stone. And he begins to pray. And here's the prayer. This is where I want to go. He said, uh, Lord, I'm not talking to you like this because you don't hear me. I know you hear me. But nevertheless, for the sake of those who are here gathered around me, he makes a statement. He said it to the disciples too. He said, I'm praying so that they will know that you have power on earth to, 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 life over, to bring life over death. He, he had said to the disciples, I'm glad for your sake that I wasn't there. When he got ready to go, he told his disciples, I'm glad for your sake that we hung out right here and I didn't go. Because you're about to see the glory of God. Now, if that's not enough for you, let me give you another story about Jesus. There was a blind man, and he had been blind since his birth. And the disciples were asking, because it was a normal question, is he blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? And he said, not for either one. It's for the glory of God. That'll do some flip-flops on your theology too. So since we don't like how uncomfortable that makes us feel, we just don't preach on that or talk about that. But here's the bottom line. There is nowhere in any of the Bible, Old Testament or New, where the Lord tries to give us some indication that you can rise to a level of some type of spiritual superiority where you are immune 
to trouble or difficulty or danger. We're in a world that's broken and there is an enemy and he's out to destroy. But the good news is he's overcome the world. So he says all of these obtained a good testimony. How did they do it? Through faith. All of them. Not just Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, Moses. All of them. The ones whose prayer didn't get answered the way they wanted them to. The ones who experienced death instead of miraculous deliverance. They all obtained a good testimony through faith. Yet they didn't receive the promise. Did you just read what I just read? They obtained a good testimony through faith. They had faith. And their faith gave them a good testimony. But they didn't receive the promise. Now the promise he's talking about is a promise that we all have. God having provided something better for us. Our day, our time, our generation. That they should not be made whole, complete, or perfect apart from us. And now chapter 12 verse 1. Therefore we also. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. If Memorial Day does anything, hopefully it makes us stop and think about sacrifices that have been made for our freedoms that we enjoy every day. And hopefully it might make us stop and think, you know, maybe there's a way that I can serve. Maybe there's something I can do to give back. Hopefully it inspires us. And that's the same reason Hebrews 11 is in here. And that's the same reason that God encourages, I encouraged the millennials the other night, know your spiritual DNA. Know where you come from. Know who the heroes of the faith are. Know about the martyrs of the church. Today, in the Middle East, You've got brothers and sisters in Christ that are suffering untold pain and horror just because they name the name of Jesus. That's it. And they're suffering willingly. You can read their stories in all kinds of places. If you want some ideas, I can give them to you. And God's doing a great work there. There are Muslims coming to Christ by the thousands. You don't hear about that on the news, but it's happening. Many of them are giving up their lives. They're dying because of it. They're being tortured because of it. But it's happening. Know that that's in your DNA. Know that in the lifeblood of the church, we are where we are today because so many people were willing to be burned at the stake, skewered on the torches for Roman emperors to light their dinner parties, thrown to the lions, into the arena with gladiators, for sport, burned alive, allowed their kids to be tortured while hoping that to avoid their kids being tortured, parents would recant their faith. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is built on, the foundation of folks who love Jesus so much they were willing to bleed, be tortured, and die. If you ever read any of those stories... The amazing thing is, over and over again, a supernatural peace would settle. Many times, while they were burning alive at the stake, they would be heard singing hymns of praise to God. 
See, I'm not talking about a weak faith. I'm not talking about an anemic faith. I'm not talking about some kind of faith that everything has to go good all the time or we're going to give up and we're going to quit and we're going to get down. Everybody has to like us, and if everybody don't like us, you know, we're, we're going to give up and we're going to quit. Let me just tell you something. When you stand up for Jesus, everybody's not going to like you. Everything's not always going to be fun and roses. You're going to be misunderstood sometimes. If that's the worst that happens to you, you are extremely blessed. Because people are dying for this faith all over the world today. But that's in your DNA. We are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And not just those who have died terrible deaths like that. My mom's in heaven today. And I remember her on her knees praying prayers and calling out my name to God. How in the world, having that memory of faith, can I throw in the towel because I'm having a bad day today? Somebody said something mean to me. Somebody said something that just wasn't real nice. They thought I preached too long or preached too short. They don't like my hairdo or the way my clothes fit or whatever the case may be. And therefore, I'm quitting. I'm throwing in the towel. I'm done. How would I dishonor that great cloud of witnesses by giving up so easily? What about those pastors, those leaders, those mentors? that led you to faith in Jesus Christ? What about the prayers that they prayed and the sacrifices that they made? What about those parents and grandparents that spent time on their knee believing God for you to come to faith and once you came to faith, never stopped praying for you so that you would see God's fullness produced in your life? And yeah, you may have some bad days and you may have some difficult moments and and I'm not belittling what you're going through at all because whatever you're going through is big to you just like whatever I'm going through is big to me. It may not be a big deal to me that your internet it's not working today, but, but it's a big deal to me that mine's not working today. But for goodness sakes, I'm not going to quit. I'm surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I've got people who have gone before me that sacrificed everything for me that I could know this faith and know Jesus and have easy access to His Word, and to His presence. Honor that sacrifice today. Just like we should honor those who have died so that we could have freedom in this nation. Honor those who have given everything so that you could have freedom on the inside of you. Because Jesus came to set captives free. And by the way, before I close this morning, the greatest sacrifice that's ever been made in all of history was on a hill outside of Jerusalem. Where after allowing them to pluck his beard out and spit on him and whip him with 39 stripes to the point that the Bible says he was unrecognizable as a human being. See, we gloss over all of that in the way we read the Bible, but the truth is he literally, you couldn't recognize him as a human being. He was beaten so badly. And he carried his own cross up a hill. They helped, had somebody help him about halfway And then they put the nails in his hands and his feet. And in the most horrendous, painful death that man's mind has ever conceived, Jesus died. For one reason. 
you. Me. He died so that we could know what freedom even feels like or looks like. He died so that we could know what it means to be forgiven for all of our past wrongs. And anything that may happen in the future. He died so that we could know peace. In spite of our circumstances. He died so that we'd have someone to turn to when no one else is there. That's the greatest sacrifice that's ever been made. And if you can't find any other reason today to live for Him, to sacrifice for Him, then remember the cross. And the good news is, He didn't stay in the grave. He rose. So, considering this great cloud of witnesses, do two things. Lay aside every weight and the sin. Old preachers that say that will preach, but I've already preached, so I don't have time to preach it too long. But I think it's important that he differentiates weight and sin. Because that means that there are things we can allow in our life that are not sinful that still slow us down. So Jesus didn't just say lay aside the sin. That should be a given. It should be an obvious. If it's a sin and the Word says it's a sin, we ought to want to get rid of that. No matter how long we've had it, let it go. But He didn't just say sin. Considering this great cloud of witnesses, lay aside the weights. Anything that slows me down. Anything that's holding me back, anything that's distracting me from giving all that I am and all that I have for the glory of God, let it go now. And then run with patience or endurance the race that's marked out for us. Since I close today, I say that just so you can have a little hope. But as I close, really, your race and mine, in a lot of ways, it's the same because we're all called to bring glory to God. We're all called to walk in faith. But then in a lot of ways, your race and mine are different because everybody's race is tailored and specific. God has a calling on my life and He has a calling on your life and our callings are different. One's not more important than the other. We're just different. So I'm not called to run your race. Boy, that would save a lot of us a lot of stress if we'd ever get that down. God didn't call you to run my race for me. I'm going to step on a few toes real quick. Are you ready? God did not call you to run anybody else's race for them, so stop worrying about other people. You're not called to run their race. God's plenty sufficient to take care of them. So don't try to run somebody else's race. That's just going to become a weight that you need to lay aside. Run your race. Run the race that's marked. Believe me, that's a full-time job. Run your race. Run the race. And how do you run? With endurance. With patience. That means that everything's not going to happen overnight. Everything's not going to I love instant. I love to see instant miracles. And we see, I've seen them. We will see them. But everything's not instant. If everything was instant, we'd need no faith. Think about this for a minute. If you knew that, I mean, you knew. You knew that you knew. No doubt about it. Hey, I don't care what's going on. If I can go to the altar, Brother Lynn, somebody's going to lay hands on me. They're going to pray a certain prayer, da-da-da-da, in Jesus' name, and I'm going to be done and out of here. It's over, it's done, finished. 
And I know it's going to happen. Well, that case, no faith. That's easy. All you got to do is get here. That's it. That's like going to the cabinet and grabbing an aspirin. You know you're going to get an aspirin, your headache's going to go away. That takes no faith. I'll tell you what does take a little faith. It's to know that, you know, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know just when and I don't know what way. But one way or the other, God's going to answer my prayer. And however he chooses to answer my prayer, he's worth following. So I'm going to follow him all the way. Now that takes faith, but it also takes endurance. It means you may have to walk a little while before you see whatever you're praying for. It means you may have to hang on. It may be more than an hour. It may be more than a day. It may be more than a week. It may be more than a year. I put a little thing on Facebook a few days ago. It wasn't original with me, but I thought it was neat. Abraham, Joseph, Daniel, they all waited decades to see God's promise fulfilled in their life. How do you like that? I'm going to do a mighty thing in your life. Thus saith the Lord in 70 years. That's what he told the Israelites. You're going into captivity, but I'm going to get you out and you're going to go home. Hallelujah. In 70 years. But for 70 years, build, plant, work, do the best you can, pray for the prosperity of Babylon. Isn't that strange? That's what he told them to do. Pray for the prosperity of Babylon. Let me follow another little rabbit for a second. I can't pray for America because America does all these bad things. Bless God. And I just think we need judgment. Bless God. Send the fire, lightning and locusts. Let it come. Uh, we, need to, we deserve it. We deserve it. We do deserve it. But guess what? You live here. Your kids live here. So I'm praying for mercy. I'm praying for the peace of you. Well, this is the great Babylon. Well, bless God, if it is, I got scriptural reference where God told his people to pray for the prosperity of Babylon. So let's do some praying that God will do something good in America because we just happen to live here. But everything may not turn around overnight. It took 70 years. 25 years for Abraham. So decades for Joseph for his dream to be fulfilled. That doesn't change the reality and the power of the dream. You got a dream from God, but it's been 10 years and it hasn't happened yet. You must have missed it. No, you didn't miss it. See, God don't get as upset about time as we do. See, for God, he's just as much about the journey as he is the destination. Some of the worst moments I've walked through personally are the times when I've gained some of the greatest revelation of who God is. Now, don't get me wrong. I would not ever want to walk through those times again. I would ten times rather God teach me that some other way that's more pleasant. However, I would not take what I learned. I would not give that up or trade it in for anything. And you see, here's the way I think. If there was any other way for God to get that across to me, I've got a feeling he would have. But whether it was because of my stubbornness or just the plan of God, I don't know. But that's how I learned. So run with endurance. The race that's marked out for you. And finally, how are you going to make it? How are we going to get through? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. 
and even now is seated at the right hand of God, ever living, to make intercession for us. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Endure your race. Run your race, not somebody else's. You don't know what their race is. And by the way, you don't know what they're going through either. Oh, I know what they're going through because I ask them at church. And I ask them if everything's okay, and they said, everything's fine, bless God. How you doing? Good. People lie more in church than they do anywhere on planet Earth. I promise you that. Because that's what they know you want to hear. You really don't want them to tell you the truth. You don't. I, I know you don't. Because here's what happens when they tell you the truth. You're in the corner over there for about 35 minutes. Uh, how you doing? Oh, just let me tell you. And immediately you're oh, Jesus help. Yeah, is that not true? You don't know what's going on in people's lives. You don't. You think you do, but you don't. You don't know what's happening at home. You don't know what's happening physically with them. You don't know what their background is. You don't know what they went through as a child. You don't know how they got to where they are right now. You don't know how hard it is for them just to be sitting in that chair. You don't know what pain they're in. You don't know what emotional pain they're in. You're judging everything on outward appearances, trying to run their race for them, saying, I'd run this race different. But guess what? It's not your race to run, and you don't know where they are. And God's called you to run your race, and I promise you that will take all of your time, all of your effort, and all of your devotion. So run your race and keep your eyes not on each other. But keep your eyes on Jesus because he will not just start this work. He promises he'll finish it. And that's all the promise that real faith needs. Real faith doesn't have to have an instant answer. Real faith doesn't even have to have the answer it's asking for. Real faith just has to have the promise that in the end, God's good enough to work this out for his glory and his benefit. And I'll put my trust in the word of God and the life of God and the power of God and the plan of God. And finally, the love of God. For me, one last thing is the Apostle John said this. He said that perfect love drives all fear away. He who's afraid, he's not been made whole, complete, or perfect in love. I know we're afraid. I know you get afraid. I do too. But you know how fear goes away and peace comes? When I begin to remind myself of just how much God loves me. And there is no place I can go and nothing I can do where the love of God does not surround me. And if God loves me that much, then why do I have to be afraid? Why do I have to be afraid? Why should you be afraid? Just run your race. Believe God. They didn't have any great character traits, these heroes of the faith. They just have one thing in common. They believed God. They trusted Him. No matter what. Some of them got miracles on this side of heaven. Some of them didn't. But they trusted him. And they kept running. And they kept believing. And the Bible says that's great faith. And that's the only kind of faith that brings glory to God. But you've got it. God's given every man the measure of faith. If you have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, you can move mountains with it. And your faith can grow. It comes through the word of God. I challenge you. Look around us. Look at the sacrifices that have been made for you. Both in the natural and in the spiritual. Look at the great cloud of witnesses over your life. Grab hold of the torch. Our generation is waiting for someone to grab the torch. 
Our generation is waiting for the next group of prayer warriors to rise. The next group of intercessors to rise. The next group of teachers and prophets to rise. This, this generation is waiting for the next group of soul winners to arise. This generation is waiting for a people who will not be detoured and distracted just because things didn't go their way every day and because they get offended here and offended there and upset over here and this prayer didn't get... God is waiting for a generation who says, you know what, Jesus, I'm committed to following you no matter what I see, feel, hear, or think because you are worth following. He's waiting for people with that kind of faith. And when he finds them, in many cases, we will see miracles again because he's the same God. I want to challenge you to be that generation. I want you to bow your heads with me today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for everybody in the room this morning. Father God, we thank you for their time and being here with us. And Lord, I believe that your word always hits its mark. God, not because of the way we deliver it or how we say it, but because your word itself is powerful. It's alive. And Lord God, you know every one of our hearts. You know what's going on in our lives, our homes, our families. It's no coincidence. It's no accident. Lord, you know us and you love us. So take this word and bring life from it today. And we know you will. Father God, we just ask you to speak directly to our hearts where we live. In the areas of our lives where we may be struggling. Father, there's some in this room today that they always look at other people who seem to have it all together and be great warriors of faith, and they think they're intimidated. They think, I can never be like that. I can't get my stuff together. It seems like my prayers never get answered. But yet here they are. Somehow, someway, still believing, still hoping, still praying. God, you love them. God, in ways that they can't even begin to understand, you've marked out a path for them. And that path is going to bring glory to you if they'll just run it. No matter how tired they get, no matter how hard it is, Lord, you're right there with them. You're right there with me. Your spirit comes alongside to help us. That's who you are. Lord, help us to lean into you because that's what faith is. Completely leaning into you and trusting you. God, help us to do that with all of our lives. Father God, for those who have gotten their so many things, so many weights, holding them down, bearing down on them, keeping them distracted. Father God, I pray tonight that as we look at the great cloud around us, Lord, those who sacrificed everything, Lord, I pray that we would be willing to lay the weights down and certainly the sins. Lord God, the areas in our life where we know that we're not walking in your ways, God, I pray that we would lay those things down and run. Take the torch and run for our generation. Run for our time. Run for this moment. Run for the church of today. Run for this nation. God, I pray that we would run with endurance, keeping our eyes fixed upon you. Encourage your people. Breathe hope and vision into your people anew. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment, if you're in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or you just don't have the relationship with Jesus that you want and need to have, You don't have to leave this place like that today. He loves you, and He's here. If you need to give your heart to Him for the first time, you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never asked Him to take over your life, or maybe you have, but that's not the case today. You're calling the shots. It's not getting you very far, and you know it, and you're ready 
to turn the reins back over to Jesus. If that describes your life, either one of those things, would you lift your hand high anywhere in this room if there's anybody like that? Before we pray about anything else, I want to give you a chance to do that. Anybody at all? Okay, then secondly, Christians in this room, there are some of you that have been really discouraged. I believe that's the reason God sent this message today. You look at people around you and you watch their race. And some of those races intimidate you because you think, I can never be like they are. They seem to have it all together and they always get their prayers answered and they're always having the right words to say at the right time. And they intimidate you that way because you're trying to run their race, not yours. So sometimes when you can't do that, you get your eyes on other people's races that aren't doing quite as well as you are, at least not in your mind. And so you try to run their race for them. And by looking at where they fell, it makes you feel better about where you are. And in neither case are you running. You stopped. And God's calling you to run again. Your race with endurance. Some of you are so discouraged because you haven't seen answers to prayer like you wanted to. Things aren't working out in your life the way you thought they would. You don't like where you are. You don't like what's happening. You're afraid. You're alone. You're discouraged. That's just where you are. That's just the truth of it. You tell everybody else you're doing fine because you know that's what you think they want to hear. But at the end of the day, you're not really doing fine. And you wonder where God is. And you wonder why your prayers aren't being answered. And, And sometimes you think, I just must not have faith at all. And yet you look at this story and you understand that if you're holding on and if you're believing and if you're trusting it doesn't mean that you don't have faith God's going to bring you through to the end of this and one way or the other he's going to get glory if you'll just keep running that race that's in front of you it may take some endurance but he'll give it to you long suffering is a fruit of the spirit and it can grow in your life if you've been discouraged and if you've been distracted I believe God sent this word specifically for you. You need to get your vision back. You need to get back to the running that you used to do. You need to grab the torch and go again. No matter what it costs, it's not for our glory. It's for the glory of God. And He's worth following. And if God's, you know, God's wanting to reignite that flame in you. You've been discouraged, but you're ready to grab hold of His hand again and hold on. Would you lift your hand high wherever you're at in this room? You know God's speaking to you. It's been a tough season. I can't tell you that the season's about over. I don't know how long it's going to go, but I can tell you God's never going to forsake you. I can tell you He's with you right now, even in this season. He's not going anywhere, and you can trust Him, and you can lean on Him. Anybody else, you know God's speaking to you. Just If you haven't put your hand up yet, go ahead and put your hand up. I just want to pray over you before we close today. All right? Okay, let's stand in this house. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just lift up everybody whose hands just went up in response to your call. Father God, you see their discouragement. In some cases, you see their hopelessness. You see their weariness. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for encouraging them now. Holy Spirit, I thank you, God, that you're the comforter. You're the counselor. You're the one who comes alongside us to help. So I thank you for helping them now, lifting them up. And Father God, as your people, we come along and we bear each other's burdens. Father God, we get in under their shoulder and we help lift them up. Father God, I just thank you, God, for giving them strength, giving them peace, giving them courage, giving them hope as they stand in faith and look unto Jesus. Father God, I just thank you, God. We believe you for answers to prayer. We believe you for miracles and signs and wonders. But until until that day, that moment, that season, that time, Father God, I thank you that you called us to occupy until you come. And Father God, I thank you you've given them everything they need to do that. I thank you, God, they'll trust in your ability, not their own. Lord God, they'll trust in your love over them, and that love will remove the fear they've been experiencing. 
So, Father God, lift them up. Give them strength this day. Encourage them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you today. If you need prayer for anything at all, we'll be around as long as you need us to be. Otherwise, go in the grace of God. Have a wonderful Memorial Day. Be blessed.